What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where twice every week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, music, trading, art, sports, politics, basically anyone with a good story to tell. I'm pretty convinced that right now in crypto, nobody has a better story to tell than literally anyone who's running things at FTX. So today, I'm very excited that we have Brett Harrison, the president of FTX US, to talk about what's happening on the United States front with regulation, with their exchange, with their humongous marketing push, basically everything they're doing to reach mass adoption for crypto. Brett, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So Brett, listen, I think there's a lot of confusion as to the relationship between, I guess, the FTX umbrella brand, where FTX United States falls in. How does that all work? Sure. So first, FTX.com, or something we sometimes refer to it as FTX International, is an exchange that was started around two and a half years ago by Sam. And it was primarily to service institutional customers outside the US because they wanted to create a derivatives platform. Without the right licenses in the US, you can't offer derivatives to US customers. Um, A little over a year ago, they launched a completely separate company uh, called FTX US. And it's like a separate corporate entity structure. It's not wholly owned or even partially owned by FTX.com. So it's just a completely separate structure, although there's some common ownership, right? Of course, you know, Sam is the majority of owner of both, um, but it's based in the US, our servers are in the US, our people are, are in the US, and we have a different product offering because we have to go after specific licenses required to offer specific spot cryptocurrency tokens, uh, derivatives, which we could definitely get into what we're doing there. Um, and so that's how those two things are related. We consider them a, a global FTX brand and do a lot of co-marketing, co-branding, and sharing of technology. But otherwise, they're supposed to be, you know, they're separate companies. Right. I'm assuming that they have to sort of keep those barriers in between them for regulatory reasons and what's allowed in different in different uh, zones and obviously the United States. Every time almost that I talk to anyone who works at any exchange about the United States, they're like, oh, we're not touching that. Right. They're just totally outright. They're saying, listen, we don't want to deal with regulators in every single state. We don't want to deal with the strict regulation in the United States in general. So it's actually sort of bold to try what you're doing in general. Right. I mean, to even operate a cryptocurrency exchange in the United States is a massive, massive headache. Exactly. And as you say, there's a huge barrier to entry into doing the United States market, which is why we think we have an edge. We have a niche here because we have really great relationships with regulators and we've done so much work on the licensing front. I mean, think about all the licenses that FTX US has and has had to get. We have state money transmitter licenses in you know, dozens of different states that require them. We have a money service businesses license. We have four federal CFTC licenses. We have a SEC broker dealer license. We just have all of these licenses that took a ton of time and effort and energy to be able to apply for and get. And that means we have to do audits from all these regulators, you know, multiple times per year. So it's a huge undertaking and cost just to get it set up. But this is why we think we, you know, have some real legs in the US for what we want to do, because very few crypto companies are willing to put in that effort to make it happen. Yeah, it sounds like a man with effort. It sounds like you probably have more lawyers than employees at this point, I would imagine. <laughs> uh, well, you, you'd be surprised just because, as you also probably know, and this is a bit of you know, lore for FTX, we have very few employees. Um, if you think about like, I think Coinbase has, how many employees do they have now? It's in the thousands. It might be thousands. close to 10,000. Yeah. Um, FTX US has about 80 employees, um, including maybe... It, between five and 10 software developers, 
four lawyers, um, you know, a handful of KYC customer service people. But our goal is to run like as lean as possible. We think it's what keeps our culture really good and makes us very nimble and able to push out stuff really quickly and not be caught up in the morass of some large organizational bureaucracy. Um, so we, we managed to run pretty lean, e even though we've taken on these you know, Herculean efforts when it comes to regulation. Yeah, it seems contradictory that you're able to do that. But Sam said the same thing when I've spoken to him before, uh, when he sort of joked like, you can seemingly FTX, not FTX US, obviously, but can have uh, pair trading of a coin that launched hours ago and already have like an effect. <laughs> and it's incredible. And that would take, you know, imagine a legacy stock exchange or something trying to go through that process. And you guys, by being lean, can do that so incredibly fast, but I'm surprised that you're able to then with just those four lawyers manage all of what you just described before all of those licenses and dealing with every single state. Pretty incredible. I don't know how you do it. Yeah. I mean, how we obviously we, we work with outside counsel too. There's a lot of different law firms that specialize in different aspects of, of this, of this business. And, um, but yeah, everyone, you know, everyone's a hundred Xer. If, if that's like what people right. like to call of these course. people. So United States traders, obviously, we have very limited access to a lot of the assets that we want to trade. I know you guys are looking actively to trade that. You've had some acquisitions. I think it seems, I, I could be wrong, that the holy grail here is to be able to offer derivatives in crypto in the United States. Absolutely. Is that accurate? 100%. Yeah. So like other asset classes in crypto, the majority of the global volume trades in derivatives. It's something like two to three X trades and derivatives as opposed to the spot tokens. But what makes crypto very different from other asset classes is that less than 5% of the total derivatives volume is in the US. Compare that to something like equity futures, equity index futures, like the S&P 500 futures or the Dow Jones futures or the NASDAQ futures, where you know, more than half of the world's equity index volume is trading in the US. And this again is because no crypto native player has really been able to sort of crack the code on getting the right licenses and bringing that all onshore. And so it's a massive opportunity. One, to bring a lot of that volume onshore that is currently offshore. And two, because there are all of this institutional demand from the United States for derivatives because of capital efficiency, being able to hedge positions, uh, more efficient forms of speculation, uh, more complex strategic things that you can do by leveraging, for example, you know, buying Bitcoin and selling Bitcoin futures against that and doing basis trading. And people want to do that trade, but they can't unless they do, you know, they have some special corporate entity set, set, you know, set up outside the United States. So we think that that is the holy grail for us is getting that really going in the US and we're, we're on our way. You talk about institutions wanting to be able to participate, obviously hedging, like you said, that cash and carry trade that you sort of described there. Can't institutions right now effectively do that with the CME or some of the products that are not available to retail? Yeah, excellent question. So the CME has a cash settled Bitcoin future. And so the problem is, is that CME is not a spot crypto exchange. So let's say you want to do this trade where you buy Bitcoin and sell Bitcoin futures against it. You need to open, let's say, an FTX US account, buy Bitcoin there, post your cash there to buy Bitcoin. You separately need to post cash collateral with the CME or really with 
an intermediary broker called an FCM or a futures commission merchant, unless you're directly a query member of the exchange. And already you've ruined the capital efficiency. You have to separately use cash to buy Bitcoin. With the cash, you have to post collateral to sell the future. What you want to do is what you can do on every international derivatives exchange, which is basically post Bitcoin and use that Bitcoin as collateral to sell a future. Or even better, let's say you already have you know, a billion dollars worth of Ether on the exchange and you want to sell you know, $10,000 worth of a Bitcoin future. You know, why do you need to get any more collateral? You already have tons of assets on the exchange that has collateral value. And that's what really made FTX.com unique and take off in the way that it did was this cross collateralization, this portfolio margining based on the value of your total portfolio and all the assets in it, regardless of what exactly it was. Which makes sense and is more efficient. So basically you're saying that institutions can do this, but there's a lot of barriers. It's complex and it's inefficient. So they probably just skip it. Right. Do and you that's, have and this? that's why, I'm, yeah, yeah, that's why empirically the volume is so low on CME compared to the rest of the world. I think 2% of the right. world's crypto futures trade on the CME. So if CME was off, offered spot and had an actual spot exchange, you would probably see an explosion. So it's kind of interesting. You think I, I spoke with a Payal Shah from the CME maybe a week or two ago, and they have zero interest in a spot exchange because it's just not what they are, right? So that's never gonna happen for them. But I guess theoretically, you would think that they were, were would try to work for the problem from the opposite side of, as you, right? They've actually done the harder part, right? To some degree. Yeah, well, they have, they licenses. They are a clearinghouse, they're an exchange, they, have all the liquidity, they have all of the capital in their clearinghouse. Um, you know, they they have all the futures liquidity. Plus now they have ETFs on their products. So there's, you know, being the only uh, futures exchange in the US where there's an ETF vehicle on their futures means there's still a ton of demand for their products, even without this capital efficiency. So if they had right. that missing leg, I think it'd be huge for them. But they need yeah. to figure out how to do, you know, crypto custody, cold and hot wallet storage. Um, they're not going interface to. with layer yeah. one blockchains and you know, they're a big company and they have other priorities. And I understand that. Right, so it's, not, it's just not gonna happen, obviously. And it's interesting you talk about the future, the uh, futures ETF, the Bitcoin futures ETF, which is such an inefficient product. And largely as a result of that, we saw the first week that that launched, there was so much demand for the first Bitcoin futures ETF that they weren't even able to, buy enough contracts, right? So they had to buy out two months, three months, four months just to fill it. Imagine if they could do that from more than just the CME, right? Or if we, uh, of course, had an actual physical spot ETF, which we should. Yeah, and there's there's two interesting aspects to this. So one is, yeah, imagine if we had crypto native futures in the US, that there would probably be new ETF products that could launch using FTX US derivatives as their underlying, which would be awesome. Not to mention, our, the pricing for the underlyings on our exchange would be free because unlike the CME, all of our market data is free. It'll be a much you know, more efficient vehicle for people to be able to create these uh, alternative investment products. The second is that one thing we're looking into is seeing whether we can get Bitcoin and Ether um, to be listed on our futures exchange, um, basically as retail spot commodity transactions and I'm not going to go too deep into all the, like, the legal theory behind this, but if we can get Bitcoin on a federally regulated exchange, then we think this could be a, a shot at having basically 
satisfying all of the concerns of the SEC, which is they don't want to have a spot Bitcoin ETF when the spot Bitcoin itself is not trading on a federally regulated market. Right. And so if we can get Bitcoin trading on a federally regulated market under the CFTC or some sort of joint thing between the CFTC and the SEC, then maybe that actually enables spot Bitcoin ETFs, which would be huge. Oh, so you're actually working at this from multiple angles, right? I mean, one of the arguments, obviously, that the, for not having a spot ETF is that they don't know how to mark to market and they feel like those underlying the exchanges could be manipulated and they don't have control. So that makes perfect sense. So really, it would almost be fair to say the holy grail isn't having derivatives trading, it's having all of it in one place. Exactly. It's that vertical integration of we have the spot, we have the derivatives, we have cross-margining of the spot with the derivatives, we let people make ETFs on our futures, on our spot, and having that all in one consistent framework with free API connectivity in both directions, market data, order connectivity. This is the, the thing that we're looking to achieve um, as fast as we can. I know you can't give any direct answers, but when you talk about as fast as we can, is that completely determined by regulators? Is that something that's within your control? Is it if they come yeah, up sure. with some clear regulation next month, we start doing this and it could also take 10 years if they're too slow? Is it really just totally in their hands? Sure. So on the CFTC side, the regulation is already clearly spelled out. Um, so there's already a path for how we can get margin approval. So that's the big thing we're looking for right now. So Ledger X, which is the uh, derivatives exchange that we acquired and then rebranded to FTX US Derivatives, they have the license to be able to uh, clear you know, Bitcoin derivatives directly for retail institutional customers. But right now that's fully collateralized. So you have to, if you want to buy a $50,000 Bitcoin future, you have to no put up $50,000 worth. Right. So we're, we have a big application in with the CFTC right now to get our margining system approved. And one thing that makes that special and just completely unprecedented from the world of derivatives is on the CME, they do uh, margining basically once per day during normal trading times. So not on weekends, not on holidays. So you can imagine if on Friday at 3 p.m. you put on some gigantic futures position, and then over the weekend you find out that you know, Russia invaded Ukraine yeah. and futures are down everywhere, you have to wait until Monday to start to unwind that risk, which usually causes huge price dislocations like on the, on the opening of these futures contracts. And this also results in, in further cascading liquidations and inefficiencies in general. FTX, the way that the FTX.com system works, which we're importing into the US, is it does full portfolio margining, basically once every 10 seconds, 24 seven. And so we think this is actually super risk reducing compared to the current worlds out there with derivatives. And so we're getting that model through the CFTC right now. There's a big application and they're, they're going to review it very carefully and in great detail. And if we get that approval, that's sort of the last big step that we have before we can offer those products. And how long is that gonna take is a question that could be you know, on the order of you know, single digit months, maybe, maybe a little bit longer, um, but we're making good progress there. Right, with what you just described, shouldn't every single market be 24 seven? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's, we're in the internet age. It's not like if you wake up at you know three in the morning and you want to you know go like order some cookies late night or something like that. You have to wait until nine a.m. because like the internet stops between you know ten p.m. and, and seven a.m. or something like that. It's like the internet is twenty four seven. Why shouldn't financial markets be as well? It would be much better for risk management and for price discovery if all of the products that could be traded 
could be available 24 seven. We just think this is the way we're all heading. And so we hope we can usher that in. Yeah, one of my favorite moments was when Elon Musk put his uh, infamous now Twitter poll up saying, should I sell 10% of my stock on a weekend? And the price reacted Monday morning, but FTX, obviously uh, FTX.com was already trading effectively Tesla stock. And you could see that move on Sunday before it even happened in the real market. That was a real eye opener, I think, for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Just having this sort of tokenized product, this, this regulated derivative be 24 seven and be able to immediately price in the change from, from this, you know, very surprising news. Um, yeah. It seems like we can even then up the definition of the Holy Grail to say, okay, we want all of this for crypto in one place. But once you have that, and if you get this approval, it seems like then you could theoretically replace the 48 hour ludicrous clearing houses that we use for stocks and make every market go 24 seven using the same basis. Yeah, it's really interesting how, because crypto was, came about you know, in the last decade or so, completely in the internet age, people designed it from the beginning to be sort of the simplest thing you can imagine, which is just like always up, instant settlement. Like, why should there be anything else? Like if I buy Bitcoin, it shows up in my wallet now, as soon as that block gets confirmed, right? As opposed to the equities world where previously it was T plus three, now it's T plus two. And that was a huge deal going from T plus three to T plus two. But (laughs) if it's it's like, you know, Friday before President's Day, it's going to take four calendar days before that stock settles in your account. Think about what can happen in the market in those four days. And when you looked at the giant problem that occurred on you know, the infamous GameStop day um, with, with Robinhood and these other brokers was because of this T plus two settlement, you, know, you don't necessarily have the cash to back these positions yet. And you're not going to for 48 hours. But in the meantime, you're getting asked by the clearing firm to put up capital to back the positions because of the increased volatility. And at that point, you're sort of screwed. And so what do you do? Well, maybe you have to just shut off trading because otherwise you're going to go under as a company. And then that, of course, pisses everyone off. So that system is just just broken. It really pisses people off when you turn (laughs) off trading only in one direction. Only in one direction. (laughs) You can sell as much as you want. We're just not going to allow you to buy it because (laughs) we can't cover those orders. But like, I think that interestingly to pivot, Robinhood took endless crap for that, right? Maybe justifiably. But people forget that that was also an issue with Schwab and E-Trade, although, you know, the people who were largely trying to trade GameStop were on Robinhood. But that was a failure of the system and not of the platforms, right? You just couldn't, how could Robinhood anticipate needing to have billions of extra dollars in cash, who has that, sitting offhand for these orders on any given day? If you're Vlad, you don't want to be in that seat on GameStop day where you have a huge mass of internet retail traders who are super excited about what's going on in the market. And all of a sudden they can't trade. But what they don't understand is like, if you're Vlad in that seat and you're dealing with a firm that you rely on or multiple firms, you know, five, six, seven different firms you rely on to buy the order flow. You rely on 13 public exchanges for routing. You rely on a number of dark pools for routing as well. You rely on the DTCC, who is going to suddenly call you up and say they want, you know, 50 billion extra of collateral or whatever they want. There's so many steps for an equity trade plus delayed settlement. You're, you're not in control over the execution. And these problems are going to be completely out of their hands. And people don't really appreciate that fact about the stock markets. 
what we love so much about the way that crypto works is when you're trading crypto, there's the buyer, there's the seller, and there's the exchange. And that's pretty much it. The exchange does your custodian of the assets. They are the market data, they're the app, they're the clearing, they're the instant settlement, they're the risk management, they're the exchange order book itself. It's all of it. And so we can say with pretty high confidence that this is gonna work even through you know, 30% swings in you know, the crypto markets as a whole, we can operate fully normally and not you know, have to liquidate customers left and right or take, and take away customer funds or randomly shut off one side of trading. This is why this is our you know compelling case for why this is going to be a risk reducing market structure going forward. Oh, well, I can't wait until they tokenize everything and we can eliminate all of those. But maybe that's a, a pipe dream because that, that, the <laughs> problem is as as much as it's a superior system, think of all the big players who have a vested interest in not allowing that to fail. I mean, it would this would effectively undermine every major bank and system in the United States. And to be fair to like, let's be fair to regulators. I think they are rightly concerned that things like regulation in the equities markets were built very slowly and carefully over decades. Just because the technology might be a little bit new or might be an improvement over the past, I think they are likely or they are rightfully reluctant to just sort of like throw that away, dive headfirst into whatever new regime is there, you know, instantly cut out two days of settlement. Because who knows what that actually can do to the sure. participants in the market? Maybe that really destabilizes things in the short term. And so it has to be done slowly and deliberately. And I think we will get there. So the other side, obviously, that we didn't discuss, that's probably a even bigger challenge, I would imagine, is determining between you and FTX.com and FTX.us what you can actually list mm. and what the criteria, criteria are to decide that. Obviously, we've seen XRP is a great example, right? It was listed in the United States, then the SEC sort of threatened uh, to deem them a security and they were delisted all over the place. So how do you go through that process uh, determining what you actually can? Is it like an in internal Howey test? How do you do that? Yeah, super good question. So just for a little bit of background. So in the US, we crypto exchanges are regulated as money transmitters. We are regulated like MoneyGram, which is sort of a silly regime for places that have millions of internal transactions per day. Typically speaking, we are not securities exchanges. And that is because the crypto exchange infrastructure is not well suited to the existing securities exchange license regimes. Like form of filing like form one to be something like NASDAQ doesn't really make sense for crypto exchange. There's so many differences between them. And so as a result, we're not regulated securities exchanges. We can't offer securities. On top of that, even if we could, there's no licensing or registration regime for security tokens. Imagine you are Ripple. Doesn't even How exist. Do you, yeah. What if you wanted to register? What do you do? I mean, you can file an S1 and list on a stock exchange, but that's also not quite right because you're like a protocol token and it's not really like a company. It, it, it's just very confusing. It's not really the same thing as listing a public company. So that being said, what do you have to do? As an exchange, we need to make sure that we're not listing something that could be considered an unregistered security. And therefore we'd be offering an unregistered security to unaccredited investors. That's the no-no. So we have to determine what we think we can list. And FTX US compared to a lot of our competitors, we've been really conservative about what we choose to list because we just don't know, you know where the hammer is going to drop on this. 
And also we have a bunch of other priorities that it's going to diversify our business. We have the derivatives, NFTs, we're looking at stocks. So we have not been as aggressive as some of the other exchanges. And that's the number one complaint we'll get on Twitter is, you know, why are you listed like, you know, these 30 tokens? And this is the only reason I won't trade with you. And it, it does feel terrible to not be able to list a lot of these tokens, but until there's good clarity on that, we've just really been erring on the conservative side. So the short answer to your question is, yeah, we, we try to do what other people do. We get the legal analysis. We try to see what tokens, um, you know, either clearly pass or don't pass the Howey test. And sometimes we will you know, make determinations based on that, but we've been very slow to do that. I don't understand how you operate in an environment where a decision that you make today that seems totally legal and compliant can be deemed illegal or not compliant by a regulation that's yet to be passed. Right? Yeah, it could be um, like an enforcement action from the SEC in three years. It could be a class action lawsuit where you know the, the class could be users that lost money trading this token, you know, claiming they were sold an uh, unregistered security against their knowledge. There's a lot of legal and regulatory risks operating in the environment. Right. Listen, in a vacuum, I get it, right? And so is there a path? I, the accreditation itself is a huge problem in the United States. It's probably not even worth diving into right now. I think we all know that it gives opportunity to wealthy people and creates a larger yep. wealth divide and that, you know, uh, people who don't qualify, don't have access to the same investments. That said, for those who do, could you, is there a theoretical way that accredited investors could trade different assets on FTX.us than people who are not? Those who go through that process and decide to KYC, AML, do accreditation, show their accounts, could they be able to trade almost any asset on your platform in theory, if you had them? In theory, yes. Um, if we set up an accreditation process, and um, I think that could be possible. I think the Not problem is, it. <laughs> I mean, it, well, first of all, it puts you on the hook for that process, which can be tricky, and you have to make sure people aren't, you know, fraudulently claiming accreditation. You have to sort of keep up to date with that. But the second yeah. is, it sort of goes against the spirit of of crypto, which is that it does. Think about how much financial markets have grown in the last let's say two decades. And think about who have primarily benefited from that growth have been people with access to brokerage accounts, um, investment advisors, you know, wealth managers. And you, know, you can imagine what kinds of people have mostly been you know, able to, to afford those benefits. And when you think about crypto, which has this democratizing effect where people have been able to participate from the earliest days, all of a sudden, you see overrepresentation in areas where people have typically been underrepresented in the financial services sector, saying that okay, now we're going to list all these tokens, but you know you need to be making Only at least two hundred two hundred thousand dollars a year and prove like you know one million in net assets. It just kind of goes against the spirit of what we're trying to achieve in the first place, which is this open free marketplace for for everyone. Yeah, I, that makes perfect sense. I guess it was really a, a theoretical. It would you would get so much pushback for offering something yeah. like that. I can't even. I can't even imagine. We've launched our uh, only for rich people exchange. Uh, yep. Sorry. So yeah, I guess that 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 would not work. So how did you actually come to be in this position? You're a computer scientist at heart, right? Didn't, uh, yeah. That, that's what you actually studied. How did you end up as the uh, president of this exchange? Sure. Yeah, I actually still do a fair amount of, of coding and stuff here. Um, That's awesome. In the, in the night hours. But so I, I found my way here through, through Sam Bankman-Fried, actually. So I spent eight years of my you know, 
beginning career in, in finance at Jane Street Capital. And I was a software developer there. I built you know, algorithmic trading systems and low latency order gateways and managed other software developers. And I had worked a bunch with Sam when he was a trader as an international ETF desk at Jane Street. And then he left to go um, first to go work at Effective Altruism first uh, full time. And then realized there was this incredible arbitrage opportunity with you know, Japanese Bitcoin and started Alameda, later started FTX. I left Jane Street and you know, went, moved to Chicago with my family to start a family um, and then worked at a couple other places. I was at um, a high frequency futures trading shop called Headlands Technologies. I was in at Citadel Securities. And then while I was at Citadel, um, my you know, contract was almost up and looking for you know, my next opportunity and was planning to leave. And Sam and I, you know, we sort of had been texting occasionally over the years and then someone out of the blue said, hey, you want to come to FTX? And having very little experience with crypto, except for some at Jane Street, I said, yeah, 100%, let's do it. I'm there. Um, and that's basically how I got here. So you, it, it was not about a deep-seated passion for crypto for you at first? No. Yeah, no, I think it was about, what it was for me more was, I was working inside of you know, super secretive trading firms slash hedge funds where you, know, you can never really talk about what it is you're working on and nothing is consumer facing. And also there's sort of a plateau you hit where all these firms are roughly doing the same things. You know, they're all optimizing for latency. They're chasing after that quarter tick. They're looking to improve their models. It's different from something like this sort of startup life of building this huge product for millions of people and trying to revolutionize the way finance works. And it's a lot more fun when you get to actually say what you're working on. And so that was yeah. a big draw for me. Yeah. I can imagine like trying to make something a split second faster as your like main passion and job is very different than how do we sign up 10 million more people. Right. right? And so also I got to imagine this, that those markets are so efficient, right? I would imagine it has to be very frustrating trying to find some sort of edge there and this market is the wide open, wild west, gaping ocean of inefficiencies yes. that you can literally like the smallest changes here for a company like yours can make a massive difference. I mean, Sam, you said like FTX launched, what, two and a half years ago? It's yes. Has and there ever been a company, company with company, that trajectory? Yeah. Has there ever been a company on the planet with that trajectory of earnings? I think no. I mean, look how fast Sam became a multi-billionaire. I mean, it's, it's really, it's really crazy. And so, but, you know, obviously I love his sort of ethos of altruist, altruism as you hinted on there, but also it seems like there's an ethos at FTX about that mainstream adoption that maybe we haven't seen at other companies or that maybe now we're seeing it from other companies as you've forced their hand. Right. Um, but um, so on the marketing side, I know a lot of that is coming from FTX. On the marketing side, how hard can you push? You know, like Tom Brady, Mr. Wonderful, Super Bowl commercials, right? How hard can you push and how effective will that be? Is it a ROI decision? Do you know, we, we do this much marketing based on this many signups? Or is it, because to me, it looks like more like you're taking the entire crypto world on your shoulders and just trying to make the entire thing mainstream signups be damned, right? And it, what's good for you is good for everyone, but that seems like you're helping the competition to some degree, right? It's a combination of both. So 
there is, I guess, a real art plus science when it comes to all the marketing things that we've been doing. And it's been actually largely in the U.S. as compared to international because U.S. has the largest retail trading class in the world. These are the people who are on Robinhood, who are on TD Ameritrade, who are on Coinbase, who are on Schwab. And they are people who you know, have some expendable income. They understand things about finance. They want to trade. So how do you reach all these people? If you add to that challenge, okay, your FTX US, you started basically in the beginning of 2021. Coinbase has been around for 10 years. They're the only public company. They have 60 million users. You have 10,000. What do you do? Um, so one thing you could do is start to you know, buy ads on the iOS store. Um, that only gets you so far. If you really want to reach tens of millions of people tomorrow, how do you do it in the United States? There are very few things you can do besides put your name on a stadium or work with Tom Brady or get your logo on every umpire's patch in every major league baseball game that could just instantly reach tens of millions of people. And, and not just that, but the implicit trust that comes with those relationships. You know how old an institution major league baseball is. You can imagine what it took for them to throw their hat in the ring with yeah, a, crypto, a crypto company, which they've never done before. And the kind of diligence they had to do on us to get comfortable doing that is just the, an outward signal to the world that you know we're a very serious endeavor. We care a lot about regulation, about compliance, about the law. Um, about safety and operational robustness. And this has you know, resulted in, I think, a, a serious push for FTX to become a brand name in the US. And I think those parts are very difficult to measure. I think on a go forward basis, we are thinking a little bit more scientifically about how many signups are we getting from these promotions? How many impressions do we get from these various advertisements? Um, what is a more effective way to get app downloads and for people to you know, sign up and deposit funds to trade? But there's also that intangible element that we're still going to continue to go after, which is, you know, when people see our ad on Sunday, you know, what kind of feeling will they get about us as a company, our personality? You know, are we a fun place? Are we someone that they trust that they like? And yeah, that sort of can't be understated. That's a huge point that I think many people probably haven't thought about. It's not even the fact that so many people see your name on the stadium. It's that the NBA or or whatever power that be accepted you and basically gave the stamp of approval that this is okay. Because we've always been fighting the FUD in the crypto space of it's only for criminals, the, you know, bad for the environment, yeah, ransomware, choose, choose your narrative. We, we've seen them all come, come around. So for Major League Baseball and Tom Brady and the NBA to say, no, this is totally fine, is really, that really is the, the kicker that I think maybe is intangible and people don't understand. And now with Tom Brady specifically, it seems like you guys fully orange-pilled this guy. I don't know if it happened before FTX or not, but it, it almost feels like he's like more willing to retire from his football career because he's excited about what he can do in crypto. Yeah, look, there's his investment in Autograph. Um, there's FTX. Uh, I think, you know, I think it's not an atypical path for a you know, celebrity and athlete to get into entrepreneurship, to get into sure. finance investing at the sunset of their career. But I think for, for Tom, it's just getting started. And um, he's just, you know, he's a great partner to have and for a lot of reasons. Yeah. So we touched on regulation quite a bit before, but are you hopeful that the United States will actually be reasonable? I mean, it seems like they sort of hold the future 
of our industry, but certainly of your company in the balance, right? I mean, most of the things it sounds like you're investing in and trying to do are completely determined by their decisions and how they decide to approach this space. It is scary that they can so easily turn it off for their country in terms of crypto innovation in the US. Um, and then I'm not saying they are, but it, right. it, would be, it, wouldn't be dif- it wouldn't be difficult to pass like a law which would maybe not intentionally, but would as a result just sort of ban things like stable coins or ban you know, virtual asset service providers from being able to efficiently operate in the US. And what that would ultimately do is just move even more of the total company share in this space offshore. When the founders, the intellectual property are all really, or I shouldn't say all, a large part coming from the US. Um, and so it would, be, it would be a shame in terms of where it's going right now. On the hopeful side, we've had such good interactions with lawmakers and regulators who I think they all get it, or if they don't get it, they really want to get it. They want to be educated. We spent some time in the Hill last week educating lawmakers on a lot of like the basics and fundamentals behind crypto and crypto regulation. And it's become more of a bipartisan issue that it's very clear this is a technology that is taking off, that's going to be the underpinnings of a lot of future technological innovation and not just in finances, but in other areas as well, in art, music and law and real estate. And they've come around to that and they're looking to do the responsible thing. On the flip side of that interaction are the crypto companies. And in order for this to go well, you know, we have to behave too. I think you know, if, if you look sort of like a year ago, two years ago at what people were saying on, on Twitter and even now in terms of crypto regulation, it's a lot of like, don't touch my industry. You know, anything that you could possibly do in this space will result in something bad for crypto. And I think that's not the attitude that's constructive or productive for moving this forward. It needs to be, there's a reason why the US is the largest financial markets, capital markets in the world. And it's because there is class A regulation that makes all of these places safe and easy to trade. And we have to port a lot of the good principles from that to crypto, but not in such a way that leads to making the same mistakes that have been made in the past where market market uh, microstructure is overly complex and there's tons of intermediation and multiple players required to do a single trade and lots of middlemen. And we we feel pretty hopeful about the conversations we've had that we're going to get to somewhere productive. And it's going to take some time, but we, we think we're getting there. Well, it feels like every single day that passes, some other country or, or zone becomes even more friendly to some degree. I mean, literally Russia now is talking about, you know, deeming uh, cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin as currency. Um, but it seems like there's going to be increasing pressure, or at least the United States now has to accept that if they come down with a heavy hand or ban anything or come out with harsh language, that it's very easy for all this innovation to go somewhere else. It's they're, oh, they're yeah. not in con- now. It's not like they can kill anything. They can just make it difficult for Americans, and that seems very counter the ethos of the country. What, one point that Sam made in the um, when he testified in front of the Senate Agricultural Committee yesterday, um, and I think it's such an important point, and it might be easy to miss, is ninety nine percent of the crypto transactions happening globally, regardless of where they're happening, are U.S. dollar based. If you go buy Bitcoin, it's, it's Bitcoin to USD. Maybe it's Bitcoin to USDC. Maybe it's Bitcoin to USDT. Maybe it's a perpetual Bitcoin that settles to USD payments. But the denominator in all of those 
um, transactions are USD. And that is because USD is, I think, the safest currency in the world. It's the most trusted currency in the world. It's all the stablecoin volume is USD. Well, what if we just sort of shut off the ability for USD stablecoins to exist? Then I don't think that Bitcoin markets go away from DeFi. Um, I think instead, or, you know, I said Bitcoin, you know, whatever, Ether, Sol, any of these sort of the DeFi marketplaces, let's say, I don't think those shut down. I think they become BTC slash EUR or BTC slash JPY. Could be BTC slash CNY, which would be a little bit scary. (laughs) Um, And so in order to maintain the U.S.'s global dominance as a currency and as a participator in cryptocurrency transactions, we have to do good by regulation. And I think lawmakers are fully cognizant of that fact, which is it's somewhat of a somewhat of a homeland security issue to make sure that USD maintains its dominance. The first time that I was feeling optimistic, I didn't see this last hearing, but the previous hearing where Sam and others were on the Hill, there had been such harsh language in the months leading up to that. But during that uh, hearing where Sam had the awesome shoelaces, um, during that hearing, I think was the first time that I heard even the more skeptical politicians actually seemingly asking the right questions or listening, or at least an acceptance that maybe they didn't know what they were talking about and were willing to be educated as opposed to just forming an opinion on a, on a hot take, right? Previous, previous congressional hearing just seemed like uh, an aide had written something down about energy or criminals and that they were just going to read that one set corporate coin, mongoose coin, et cetera, yep. of course. Right. <laughs> so, so I, it does seem, and now interesting to hear that you guys were on the Hill last week and actually educating them because it seems like that's, what's really necessary, right? They're not, I don't think they're evil. I think it's just like, they're going to be dismissive of anything until they have to pay attention to it right now. It's just kind of like their voters care. So they might lose their yep. job if they don't get it. Remember it when, People think about cryptocurrency as a potentially fringe or niche industry. There are something like 80 to 100 million users in the US with accounts at exchanges. So if you think about that as a percentage of the total constituency, that is very non-negligible amount of the voter base. That's large. And so, I mean, this just think about how many users Coinbase plus Kraken plus crypto.com plus FTX US plus Gemini have. It's a huge percentage of the United States population. And so this is not a fringe issue anymore. It's something that is top of mind for people who want to be able to control their financial future and invest in what they like. And that's why lawmakers are paying attention. Do you see a future where FTX US sort of incorporates all the best parts of crypto? I know you've talked about, obviously, we've talked about derivatives, we talked about spot. I know you're going into NFTs, which will be huge. Is there a time when it effectively becomes your entire bank account, right? You're earning yield, you're making your payments out of it, whether using stable coins or USD, maybe you have an FDIC insured USD account there where you can basically do everything from one place. I think that's sort of lacking in this space is the one-stop shop, certainly for Americans. I think there's other places where it's closer. Yeah, we'd love to head there. And I think that technologically we're set up such that that's a possibility. I, I tweeted about this other day, but we have this payment service called FTX Pay, where you can, and it's really just a small thin wrapper around the exchange, but you can accept payment as a merchant in any crypto or in USD, and people can pay you through FTX using any crypto 
or fiat currency and will convert for you if you want or won't convert for you if you prefer to take the existing currency. And that's you know, a small example of the kind of Venmo-like service that we can already provide as an exchange. We're looking into things like being able to direct deposit from your you know, employee uh, payments, so your salaries directly into your FTX US account. Um, you know, we're looking into things like, you know, how can we, if not become a bank, maybe partner with a bank or get some kind of licenses that would let us do, you know, borrow lending or, you know, savings type products in a regulated fashion. I think all of these things could come together into one and it would be really powerful to have it in one place. I love savings account in a regulated fashion because obviously we have this sort of famous story now where the SEC, Gary Gensler said, just come talk to us, guys, you know, come talk to us. And then Coinbase tried to go talk to them about their potential yield product and were threatened with litigation. Come talk to us right. and we'll threaten <laughs> to sue you without uh, any reason, which I think scared a lot of people off, obviously, on regulators, that thing. But we already do have these yield products all over the United States, the BlockFi, Celsius, Nexo, Voyager, et cetera of the world. Is that the reason that you haven't done it yet? You want to I mean, do it in a fully it's not compliant just the SEC. Yeah, you know, I think I like mean, this, it's, yeah. the states have been going after, you know, Celsius and BlockFi. And again, when you think about the most um, canonical example of an investment contract, a securitized product, it's put in X principle and then receive interest of Y percent on that X principle and eventually get your X principle back. Yeah. And that is what these, you know, services claim to offer. And it's, it's complicated under the hood. It could be DeFi, it could be a liquidity pool, it could be an AMM. Have to make it, yeah. Um, but it, at, at the end of the day, it still looks like that. And you know, banks have exemption from securities registration, but non-banks do not. And so the, it's a gray area of the law that we need to get clarity on, but we also have to operate it in. Right, yeah. And I'm not critical of any of them. I love the, the idea of earning yield. I think that's one of the most exciting parts about crypto, but when potentially and, and you're why parking not? money. Yeah. Yeah. And, but when you're parking I mean, your money with a platform and maybe they're trading it. And for example, the GBTC, uh, you know, the, the GBTC premium disappears and becomes a discount, then they can't offer right. yield anymore. Okay. Well, maybe people need, do need to realize that it needs to be regulated I don't have a passionate feeling either way, but you definitely don't feel like you're going to go on a platform, park your coins for yield, and then it's going to disappear, which is theoretically possible if yes, it's a prop that, desk that's earn, earning that is your the yield. Problem. You know, in, in, in programming, we talk about like the, the happy path. You know, you, if you test, if you only test your program for when everything works well, then you're not going to be fully robust when they don't. And when it works well, yield is amazing. But what if that institution goes under or there's a run on it? Is it FDIC insured? Is, is, is there any insurance on those assets? Are you gonna, ever gonna get them back? Who, who do you sue if it's like a DeFi protocol, AMM? I, I mean, it, it does, these are there's all- There's no centralized, that, co there's no point. company to sue, right? It's... Exactly. On, on the other hand, like yield is great. If you think about people wanna borrow money, companies would be very happy to borrow money for more than 0.01% or whatever the bank gives you. Um, they can do very good things with those money that earn them, you know, much higher returns than what you can lend it to them for. So why shouldn't you as a person with $700 in your bank account, be able to lend it out at 4%? It makes sense. Sure. It shouldn't have to be that you earn, you know, 0.02 pennies per year at Citibank. 
Um, but there has to be good guardrails in between to make that easy and safe. Right. I think Coinbase would have argued that their 4% rate versus the 10% rate being offered elsewhere was probably the happy middle ground there. And of course right. they were threatened, threatened with litigation as a result. So as we sort of come to the end of the time here, what are your, what are you looking forward to the most in 2022? I mean, I, I would imagine you have to say some regulatory clarity, but there are there certain narratives in the space, certain things that you're building that you think could really be impactful by the end of this year? Sure. I would say I'm the most excited about three different verticals for FTX US in particular. Um, one is definitely the derivatives exchange. Um, we talked about that earlier, getting the licensing to be able to offer margin, creating the first real-time margining system in the US ever for derivatives trading is I think going to be revolutionary. Very excited to see if we can bring a lot of that offshore volume onshore. Um, the second is other asset classes, more traditional asset classes like stocks, where we, as you'd say, it's really great if you can do everything in one place. If you wanna spend your money to invest, you don't wanna have to keep you know, a quarter of it at TD Ameritrade and you know, 75% of it at FTX. You'd like to be able to put it in one place and kind of go seamlessly back and forth. So we are looking at how we can offer stocks, just vanilla stocks to our customers. So that's pretty exciting. And then the last is, you know, we are growing our NFT marketplace and aside from the sort of consumer-facing, you know, art or collectibles market, um, we're really excited about games and all the ways that they're looking to integrate with blockchain technology and how exchange partners like FTX US can provide a lot of the technological services and backends required to make those integrations happen. And we're in talks with a number of game studios who are looking to start getting into that space. And so those, I think, are the three most exciting things for, for me uh, for the products in 2022. Every time I talk to anyone knowledgeable in this space and they describe what they're excited for or what could be coming, the message that just like rings so loud and clear to me is just how utterly early we are. Oh, like, yes. That we're like, we can, we can barely do anything in this space versus what's possible right now. I mean, we, this is like the most basic offerings when you consider what's out there. It's really exciting. I totally agree. So Brett, where can everybody follow you after this? And well, I know we can go sign up at ftx.us, but where can everybody follow you personally? Sure. Yeah. I'm Brett underscore FTXUS on Twitter. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It was nice to hear another voice from FTX. I've had Sam three times. So we'll have to <laughs> catch you. We'll have to catch you up and uh, see if you could get on here as many times as Sam. Yeah, here. anytime. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you so much.